You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. God, we're grateful again that we're here. We're grateful that you've given us breath in our lungs to worship you. We ask now that as we look at your word, that you would give a singular focus on you and what it is you would desire for us to take away today. Again, may the preaching of your word be your word for the sake and glory of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to look with us at 2 Thessalonians, which was our first reading for today. Um, I don't know, maybe you've never felt this way, but there have been times in my life where I felt like I've been in a 12-round knockout. You know, life is just coming at you from all sides and things are not going the way you think they should and you feel beat up. I remember uh, that when I was a kid, I took karate when I was a kid. Because I thought, I love Karate Kid, number one. You know, throw back to the 80s there and 90s. Uh, and I thought I wanted to be a black belt. And everybody should be a black belt, right? Because Karate Kid was a black belt. And I took karate, and I never got to black belt, by the way. Still not a black belt. Still don't, I don't take karate anymore. But, but once you move up in the ranks of karate, you begin to do what they call sparring with one another. You know, it's the, uh, it's the ultimate karate kid. You're, you're fighting against each other. You're getting points for when you, get, when you hit, and you're getting points taken away when you get hit, and so on and so forth. And I remember those battles, but one in particular, I remember towards the end of, you know, these three rounds or so that we're going, I received a right jab to the nose. And I couldn't see. My eyes got all watery, and then all of a sudden, here comes the blood just pouring out of my nose because I got punched. And in the midst of the tears and in the midst of things, I, I, I literally looked worse than I felt, but it was though I'd been beaten up. I was, I, I, I was in this battle. And the people of Thessalonica today, Paul is writing to them, and he knows that they're getting beat up for the things that they believe and the things that they're standing on. They're in a battle. They're in a 12-round knockout, and their eyes are probably watery because they're exhausted, and they're being bombarded by things that are not truths. And so Paul is writing to encourage them and to strengthen them. I wonder today, before we jump into that passage, how many of you feel like you're being beat up. Maybe not physically, but certainly mentally and emotionally. Maybe you're a new believer this morning and you've, you've known Jesus for a while, a little while, and every step you take forward, there seems to be two steps backwards spiritually, and you feel stuck and exhausted. Maybe you're a longtime believer, and your zeal for the faith is on autopilot. You've been going through motions and just praying that the motions will sustain you and kick in at some point so that things might happen that are incredible and awesome. But ultimately, you feel stuck. Paul writes with a very clear intention to the believer who's in the trenches. And I can say that if you don't feel those things, you will. Because we're in a battle. This is not our home. This is the foreign land in which we're called to live And James even says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And so there's a guarantee that trials are going to come. We're going to feel like we're in a battle. And yet Paul's saying, what do we do? How do you sustain? How do you keep going? 
He starts off in 2 Thessalonians, which is a passage we didn't read, but he starts off the book in 2 Thessalonians 1, and he says, what you've been doing is good. Keep doing what you're doing, the things that you're doing. He says, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightfully so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. He says, keep it up. What you're doing is great. What you're doing is of the Lord. And then he goes on in the next part of that passage in in chapter 1. He says, you're suffering because of what you're doing. You're suffering because of the right things you're doing. It says this, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just, he says. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to all of us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. There's a key piece here that we can't miss. That in the midst of the battle, we want it to be reconciled today. I want it to be done today. Jesus, I need it all to be gone today and I want life to be great and grand and glorious. And there are some false gospels that are out there that would tell you that if you just have enough faith that you won't have any of those problems. You'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll be prosperous, all those things. But that's counter to what we know from Scripture. Paul says, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight, and the stand for the, for the faith is going to be challenging. And that's what leads us to this passage for today in chapter 2. He says, deception before the coming of Christ. There will be deception that happens before Jesus returns. This type of teaching occurs today just like it did then as Christians are often challenged with questions concerning why is Jesus waiting so long to come back? I mean, is he really going to return? It's been 2,000 plus years. What's he waiting on? If it were me, I'd have already done it. We're done. We're finished. Let's go to heaven. Let's enjoy. But he's waiting and he's 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 lingering if he will in our mind he's lingering to him he's not but he's waiting he's waiting for us to continue to fulfill the great commission and the call of the kingdom and how does Paul respond to this idea of deception it's the same way you and I should with the truth of scripture with the truth of of the bible in front of us he says in verse 3 let no one deceive you as any in any way Paul's persuaded that the deceit is at the root of the mental and emotional disturbances. And if we're shaken from our senses and lose our balance and feel alarmed and fretful and begin to act in ways unworthy of our call, it's because the deceit has taken root somewhere in our minds. So what does Paul aim to do? What does he do for the Thessalonians? And I think what is he trying to encourage us to do so that they may not be shaken and alarmed? He aims to teach them the truth tailored for their specific struggle. He studies the kind of deceit that they're encountering, which is this false doctrine that's being thrown at the church in Thessalonica. And he digs it up with a spade, and around it he begins to pour in the truth. I wonder, do we do the same thing? When we're stalled and feel useless for the kingdom, do we turn to biblical truth? Do we dig up the falseness around us and pour in the biblical truth so that we are strengthened by his word? Do we tend the garden of our emotions with the tools of biblical truth? 
when there is some alien desire or fear? Do we give ourselves a day and a night to search the scriptures for the truth that God has inspired for the undeceiving of our hearts? Now, if I could be honest for just a moment, the way I believe Satan gets us and the way he gets me is that he will oftentimes tempt me with comfort. I just want to be comfortable. I don't want any struggles. I don't want things to be hard. I want the checkbook to look good even after I write all the bills. I want all those things to be taken care of, Jesus. And if they are, then life is good. And I, I lose sight of what the true calling is, is, is from the Lord because it feels good. He lulls us to sleep. The, that is not Jesus. That's the evil one lulling us to sleep by comfort in our lives. And that's me personally. Maybe it's you. But keep in mind that unlike all the wisdom of men, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of root and rock and dislodges even the deepest unconscious deceits of our minds that yield the alien fruit of fear and desire. Let no one deceive you, Paul says in this way. And then come 10 verses from Paul teaching us and dislodging the deceit from the minds of the Thessalonians and to restore the stability of calmness of their faith. It is critically important, I believe, to understand that the great deceiver is at work and he is not often waving a flag saying, by the way, I'm the great deceiver and this is how I'm going to do it. And so what does Paul say? We have to recognize the deceit by recognizing the one who deceives The text gives us a clear understanding that what the man of lawlessness looks like as he comes to deceive. Look at verse 3. He simply named the man of lawlessness. We may infer from this that it's someone doing the deceiving, that he embodies the spirit of rebellion against God, lawlessness. Also in verse 3, which is the second piece, he's the son of perdition or destruction. Just as surely as his character is lawless, His destiny is destruction. Perdition clings to his very nature. And let us hear in this earnest warning to guard ourselves from rebellion against God's laws. Because it does lead to destruction. And then thirdly, this deceit comes through the man of lawlessness who will oppose God and all objects of worship except himself. Oh, how comfort looks pretty good. Oh, how I want to worship the things that are comfortable. Oh, how I want to turn my attention to the things that make me feel good and that don't disturb things in life. We want to worship those things, and that is deception. This person, of this man of lawlessness, wants, he, wants himself exalted. And Paul says to put himself forward as God. He wants to make it our God's. We always laugh at the story of the Old Testament when, you know, the Egyptians or or the Israelites come out of Egypt and and before long they make a golden calf, right, out of their jewelry. And they begin to worship this golden calf, but it makes perfect sense. That was the thing that provided for them. That was the thing that sustained them. We don't have golden calves. We have a lot of gold and other things, though. 
And that is deceit. I would go so far as to say that Satan desires nothing more than to infiltrate the local church to divide and deceive. When we lose our focus on the urgency of the gospel and the Great Commission to focus our attention on squirrels. Now track with me for a minute. If you have a dog who likes being outdoors... Like I do. I have a I have a 70-pound lab Doberman mix. I think he's got some bird dog in there somewhere. And we have done our best to train him so that he'll listen, so that he'll come to me, so that when he's running towards a car, I can call him away from a car so that he doesn't get hit. But inevitably, no matter what I have in my hand that might be delicious, and that he might be looking right at me if there is a squirrel or a chipmunk behind me, toast. He's not going to pay attention to me. And you will not get him off of the squirrel or the chipmunk until he catches it or it runs away out of his sight. He will go nuts. He's convinced that there is a chipmunk underneath our basketball goal every morning. And nine out of ten times, there is. They haven't learned their lesson yet. I don't know why. But this is what, the, this is what Satan would desire of us. Let's chase the squirrels even though the good things are right in front of us. Even though the calling for us is right there, we're distracted by the squirrels. And sometimes like a dog, you can't train the squirrel and the chipmunk out of them. We have a real hard time training ourselves not to pay attention to those things. The evil one wants us to see the squirrels. Whatever that may look like in your life, whatever the attention away from the kingdom might be, he wants you to be consumed by it. And if you know the woods contain squirrels that distract you, Paul is saying, get out of the woods. Get out of the way so that you can see clearly the kingdom that is important and not be distracted. Fourthly, he says in verses 6 and 7, this man of lawlessness is now being restrained until his appointed time. In other words, he is not in control. God is in control of all things. His time is appointed and will be short. There will be a coming of Jesus. And so the Thessalonians have been told for a while now that, that there is no resurrection. Jesus asked that question in our gospel today by the Sadducees because they didn't believe the resurrection. And they're being told that this has already happened or it will not happen, that Jesus will not return. And they're starting to battle with it and be, even believe it. And so they're chasing the squirrels instead of focusing on what is right in front of them, the kingdom of God. And the purpose of these warnings from Paul was not to make a calendar for the event, but to produce perseverance, character, and wisdom as they develop their faith, awaiting for the final day of the Lord. We're in a 12-round knockout. We're in a battle right now, and the Lord has said, I will come. And we talk about the gospel all the time here. And the gospel is of utmost importance, and it must be proclaimed. That, is our, that should be our vision, not the squirrels. And if you're saying this morning, there's no one to proclaim it to because I live in the Bible Belt and everybody believes in Jesus here. Let me just give you a statistic very quickly that came out a few years ago about Birmingham. It says in the Bible Belt of Birmingham and the surrounding areas, 88% of people believe in Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good number. I like it. It goes on to say, though, that 49% of those same people also believe in karma. In other words, 
They may believe in Jesus, but they don't know what Jesus is teaching. They don't know what Jesus is saying and proclaiming. They don't know what his teachings entail. How will they know unless someone tells them? It's my hope and goal that we can equip as many people as possible who will effectively go out and spread the gospel but handle God's word with other people so that the scriptures may come to life and so that they may be active in their lives. And how do we know that this is our response in the current situation? Verses 13 through 15. Paul says this, stand firm against the lawlessness. We've been called by the gospel and because of that calling, we're to stand firm. When we're opposed in our faith, God assures us to stand firm because it has its rewards, not here on earth, but certainly in heaven. I believe Paul is internally reflecting on the one who ultimately stood firm on our behalf, Jesus Christ, who took on the affliction and pain, but in doing so reaped a reward in heaven. We're to be united with him in his death of suffering and pain, but we also share with him in the reward as heirs of the throne. So the evil one, while he challenges us to the 12-round knockout, we choose daily to put on the gloves to fight against the things of this world for the sake of the gospel. And then Paul ends our section today with this word of encouragement and strength, which I think is an encouragement to us. In the 12th round, when all has been knocked, when you feel like you've been knocked out and you're this close to being on the mat and out of commission, you're in the last scene of Rocky and you can't stand up any longer. Paul says this, and I want to close with this this morning. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loves us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. May it be so today. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.